Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with New York City jazz guitarist Charlie Apicella. He grew up in New York, and these days he is promoting his newest 2018 CD, One Night Only, a tribute to Jack McDuff. His love of guitars came in 1977 with a Starfire 4 that was signed by his idol, B.B. King. From there, he studied improvisation and composition with the great Pat Martino, Youssef Latif, Archie Shep, and Dave Stryker. He is the founder of the band Iron City, and he has plenty to say about his jazz walk. Please get to know him and dig this interview, my friends. So up front, I got to say, I'm so glad that you New York City cats are reaching out to me. I've had a really good... Uh, crop of just musicians in New York that are reaching out. I, I love your music. I love it that you guys are reaching out. Keep sharing it. You know, the website is definitely serving you well. Keep, you know, keep putting energy into that. I think you're doing a great job. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's an honor. I'm, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants, so um, I appreciate what you guys are doing all the time. So, um, uh, so without any further ado, let's let's hop right in here. I, I love these funky tribute albums and jack mcduff had to just be a playground to get involved with to make an album as a tribute so talk to me about one night only one night only is is really a tribute to the culture of jazz musicians you hear a lot about the chitlin circuit and this is something that myself and my co-leader alan corzin the drummer in the band spend a lot of um you know, a lot of time talking about and thinking about. So, you know, you hear stories of the Chitlin circuit across all genre, you know, not genres, but across all um, musicians that I'm interested in. So, I first came um, aware of this of the Chitlin circuit, which was, in short, it was a, you know, when when musicians would go out in the 1950s and 60s and 70s. And you might play, you know, three, you know, three or four nights at a club in New York City or in Chicago or Philadelphia. And you would string together these big cities with small restaurants and bars along the way and do like a bunch of one-nighters. So this is what was called the Chitlin Circuit. I would hear, the first time I heard anything about this was watching interviews with Billy Cox, Buddy Miles, talking about their history with Jimi Hendrix, uh, the history of their sort of thread of music. And then I would hear folks in, you know, in reading about B.B. King and hearing interviews with some of the musicians he worked with, they would talk about life on the Chitlin circuit. This is where musicians who played jazz, who played rock, who played blues, all would meet each other, you know, and be crossing paths and there would be a cross-pollination and uh, these different musicians would be sharing the same audience all over the country. So the way that this relates to my band is that we are in a constant... You know, I don't even ever say we're we're going on tour because I consider everything we do is kind of in this sort of chitlin circuit uh, tradition where we're... You know, we have a territory from Vermont to Delaware and we're just constantly crisscrossing... You know, every week doing whatever gigs, you know, crop up, whatever we can string together. I'm getting by the accent that you grew up in New York or on the East Coast. Is that correct? I did. Okay. Where where did you grow up? Talk to me about your childhood and how you got so into 
not only jazz, but music. I'm from Hudson, New York, which and now I'm in I'm in New York City. So Hudson is, you know, on the way up, up the Hudson River towards Albany. At a at one point, uh, you know, we moved around a couple times when I was a kid, and I ended up in Massachusetts in high school, and uh, there was a nice little bit a little bit of a jazz uh, community there at the time. Studying music really helped me deal with with moving uh, and living in a new place at that time in my life. And I was, you know, it's also the time where you kind of get exposed to music. The things that really stuck with me were, you know, obviously a lot of the, the records that my dad had on vinyl. And he was not a jazz, you know, he had no jazz records except for uh, Chuck Jones, which is cool. He was into B.B. King, Muddy Waters, and he had those original Woodstock albums where I heard Hendrix, and now these were all on vinyl. And then right around that time, Jimi Hendrix's uh, family started re-releasing and for the first time releasing some music that was uh, not, you know, released during his lifetime. So I was exposed to a lot of that around the time, and these things really helped me deal with, um, you know, my teen, you know, teenage years. I immediately became interested in jazz music. I heard Charlie Parker and I heard Wes Montgomery. And when I finally got the guitar, uh, I was a senior in high school. And I really knew that if I studied jazz, that this was a lifelong endeavor. You know, it would take me my whole life before I would sound good and I'd be able to explore and uh, experiment with music because it seemed like it was so vast and so hard to master. So that's what really got me interested in this path. You know, the one thing along the way is, you know, we, we really are guided by great teachers in our life. And I want to take a slight detour and ask about the great Pat Martino, who fortunately yeah. was my 500th interview. And I got to tell you, when I stepped away from that interview, and it was actually... I believe either a day or two after the Eagles won the, the Super Bowl, he, the, the level of wisdom, the level of just, he's not even operating on a regular human level of thought. He is a superior, beautiful soul. And I stepped away from that interview thinking, I, every once in a while I get the chance to talk to someone like that. So to learn from someone like that had to have been a transformative life experience. Well, it's ongoing. I mean, I'm, I, you know, I've been with him now for, I think it's gonna, I think this is gonna be the, it's been four years, you know, and I try to go at least twice a year. Yeah. So I'm there a lot, um, and I see him, you know, at least whenever he comes to New York, every time, and uh, you know, we're fortunate that he is, um, you know, he's a, he's an older. He's an older man. You know, his his gigs, it, it, it's, it's almost like it's more than I've ever witnessed. The first time I saw Pat was probably the first week or first month I was at uh, the University of Massachusetts. And some guys that, I, that, I, that were also musicians that I had quickly become friends with said that they were going to drive out to Boston to see him at um, the Regatta Bar, actually, is what it was. So we drove out to Boston, 
you know, one night, and it was a bunch of us hanging out, and uh, it was just great. Fast forward to a few years ago, um, of course, it's always, you know, there's always people around town that you know have taken lessons with Pat Martino, and kind of word gets around that that's in somebody's, um, you know, in, in somebody's history that they've that they've worked with him. We, we started to do um, not opening for Pat, but closing for Pat at um, one of his sort of home bases in Philadelphia. It's called Chris's. So they would always put us after Pat, you know, twice a year whenever he's at Chris's. And he would stick around and he would listen to us. And I kind of developed a, you know, a little bit of a rapport with him from that. So fast forward to one night at the Blue Note a couple years ago. I went up to him. You know, he was sitting at the bar, and I gave him my new record at the time that I had made. And we chatted for a little bit, and he gave me his his phone number, and he told me to call him that he wanted me to come down to Philadelphia and, um, you know, see if we could uh, – he he said um, if we could have an interaction was the word that he used. And I didn't really know what he was talking about. I, I was kind of in awe just getting this chance to talk to him you know, on a personal basis, and I didn't really know what he meant by that. Uh, so I immediately, you know, the next day, emailed him, and then he said, oh, you know, it's basically a lesson. So I said, this is great. So I bought every, you know, he made a few lesson, you know, um, method book DVDs, and I bought his method books, and I just studied. These DVDs were on my TV round the clock for weeks, you know, I I had you know I had scheduled a lesson like maybe five weeks out, and I just studied and studied and studied. It's just been a great experience. You know, I've it's it's if nothing more, it's um one of the big things I've gotten from Pat is a is a um you know a reemphasis on something I learned from Youssef Latif, who was my first music teacher, which is just be yourself. Trust your instincts, and the way that I really push myself forward in music is to put myself in the company of older musicians. So not only these mentors, but also older musicians that I can hire to to play in the band. But but that's definitely one of the the big things that I've learned from Pat was to have the to trust what it is I can contribute to music. And to trust my um, capacity to interact and, and to play with great older musicians. So, you know, you learn from Pat. You mentioned Youssef Latif, Archie Chef, you have Dave Stryker. And I think about all of these guys and the wealth of years and just being around the old guard jazz guys and everything that comes out is either probably funny or wise usually. And I wonder how that has influenced you as a teacher because, you know, you lend that to, to who you're around just because by osmosis and even consciously. So what did you get from these guys that helped you be a great educator? I think that's a great question. I think it's very it's a very important question. Uh, there's, uh, there's this one anecdote that always keeps coming to mind. It really taught me about being, I don't want to say be open-minded, but just to be, 
you know, Yusef Latif was open-minded. You know, he was an open soul. I mean, it, it transcended his mind. It, it, you know, to say open-minded is almost, you know, boxing it in a little bit. But there was this one occasion, uh, we, you know, a bunch of us were hanging out. It was a, a dinner party after one of his concerts in uh, in Massachusetts. Yus- this was around the year 2000. And Youssef made a comment. He had read an article, maybe in the New York Times, and he said something about um, there's this woman named Love who's suing for the rights to her husband's works. That's the way he presented it to us. And Yusef's bass player at the time was young. He was only a few years older than me. And we were all, nobody really seemed to know what he was talking about. And then the bass player said, oh, do you mean Courtney Love and Kurt Cobain? And Yusef said, yes. And then we, then he continued to tell the story. So me, just having started, I was only a musician at that point for maybe two years, and I had taken classes with Yusef and so forth, and I was just happy to be, you know, in his company at all at that moment. I was just so floored by the fact that Yusef viewed Kurt Cobain as a composer and viewed this sort of legal proceedings that were going on and this drama that was in the, you know, it was this juicy tidbit of gossip, but Yusef didn't see it as that at all. He saw it as part of the, you know, his his connection with another composer and with the legacy that this composer's works would have now that he had passed away. And to me, that was a lesson in accepting all musicians and really all people on the value that they inherently have. So the way that that sort of lesson creeps into my teaching is that I don't try to impose a structure. I have a curriculum, but I leave the teaching method up to the student. In other words, I'm very good at adapting to the way that my students interact with me. And this is, again, reinforced by Pat Mar- by the way I, I, I work with Pat Martino. So I do a lot of teaching. I teach here at the New York Jazz Workshop. I have a very healthy, um, you know, studio of several guitar students. And I made a website with videos, um, you know, basically my own jazz education website that I used to reinforce those lessons. And it really comes down to um, not having an agenda other than getting these folks, you know, getting this person to be able to play whatever they want to play and be able to teach themselves how to do it. And I think that that, those sort of peripheral lessons that I learned from these great masters reinforced my ability to to provide that for my students. Very cool. Let's talk about Iron City. Talk to me about the beginnings and talk to me about the evolution of the band. Um, I think the evolution of the band and, um, you know, really stems from what we're able to accomplish on each record, right? So 
the band came, you know, there's always incarnations of different people at different times. But the band exists because I want to be a composer. So I was composing jazz tunes before I could even read music. And I basically learned how to read by this sort of activity. I wanted to be a composer. I really see that the evolution of the band really comes from the type of tunes I write, the tunes that catch my ear on records that I transcribe, and as my arranging skills get better and better over time, you know, the experiments that I'm doing with my music become more and more interesting and more and more, you know, fulfilling for myself, of course, and then in turn for the other people that I'm playing with. So, as the as you know, for me, it's it's about making records. I, I and I guess that's comes from the first musicians I listened to were Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin and Frank Zappa, and these are people who were, you know, probably the best ever at making records. You know, when you learn about these people, you learn about their work ethic in the studio, the innovations they made in the studio, and how great these records were that they put together. And that's what I'm really the most interested in. So each one of my records is like a concept album, which I think is a little different from jazz, you know, in the jazz world. Um and I really pride myself on having very intricate but logical arrangements. And you know, in, in music when we talk about the arrangement, it's um, you know, how how does the ensemble play together? You know, how what notes does the saxophonist play in the melody? What notes do I play in the melody? What bass line does the organist play? Those are, that's what we kind of mean by the arrangement. And um, I write all of that stuff out very meticulously. And having developed that skill to arrange so clearly and logically is what allows me to progress to this point now where I'm now writing, you know, our Sonny Fortune is on the new is on the new record and we're doing concerts with him now. And that's a monumental achievement for me. That's something that I never you know, I always hoped something like this would happen, but I never really assumed it would. And I really think that that's a testament to the evolution of the band that we can make a statement that a great master like Sonny Fortune, would also want to contribute to and be a part of. How do you feel about your career up to this point? Everything that's transpired, are you happy? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, I have a blast. I mean, it's, nothing is more exciting to me than getting an email about, you know, that we get this gig or to talk to somebody like you. Um, this is like the a great, you know, it's just so much fun to me that the hard work that we put into making records and you know really trying to speak to the to the real jazz audience this is to me how i get rewarded is to interact with folks like you and and just have opportunities just to continue to do it so why do you love jazz really i mean it's just simply what i hear in my head i connect most directly with feels i feel that you know i have a very strong interest in American history and, you know, the history of music, of jazz music in our society. 
And um, those were all things that uh, when I studied with Archie Shep, uh, Archie Shep actually was not a music professor at University of Massachusetts. He was an African-American studies professor. So I ended up getting a minor in that because I was so interested in that program as well. So for me, I love the role that this music plays in our culture and our society. You know, I think like a swing feel, I, I feel like that's like a force of nature, you know? Like it's like really fascinating to me that all these musicians are great. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, I haven't really gotten, you know, I can't really articulate this too much, but I really feel like a swing feel is like a force of nature. Like, you know, you you access it, you know, it's like it's like going on around us at all times. So that's the thing that's exciting to me. I've never learned, I don't know any rock tunes. I've never played in a blues band or a rock band. I've only ever played in bands where I was writing my own jazz tunes or playing standards, which, you know, over, you know, in the beginning they were very simplistic because I was just starting. And now as time goes on, I get, you know, more and more capacity to write things that are more complex so that's why i like jazz is because it's um you know it's america's classical music right on well i think you wrapped a lot of things up in that answer that i really appreciate it charlie thanks for taking some time out for me today i appreciate it thank you man this was a blast good luck with right the, uh, with the show and hope to talk to you again soon thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another neon jazz interview where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in new york kansas city and spots all over the globe giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Charlie for his music and his cool. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.